This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad. I'm coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover a book called Genes, Climate, and Consumption Culture, Connecting the Dots by Dr. Jagdish N. Sheth. Just to clarify, we're talking about genes as in G-E-N-E-S and not the kind that you wear. This was a book from my 2018 reading list, and it was book 36 out of the original 52 that I'd set to read that year. This episode is going to consist of three segments. The first will be a brief introduction to the book, the author, as well as my initial reaction. Second segment will be a discussion of Dr. Sheth's main point in this book, which is culture is a function of climate. So I'll go into the different ways in which that's true and what it means for you personally, as well as potentially what it could mean for your, your business. And the final segment is the one thing, the one key takeaway that... I always want to remember from this book and that I would like to leave with you as, as the listener. My overall goal for this episode is to introduce you to this book and to the author. This was the least popular book that I read last year in terms of Goodreads reviews. If you're not familiar with Goodreads, Goodreads is like the social media for bibliophiles. Uh, you can share what you're reading. You, you put your entire list up. Um, and then at the end of the year, Goodreads puts together this infographic to show how many books you read, how many pages you read. And then one part of it that's really neat is to show you the least popular book you read and the most popular. So this was the least popular with just one other review other than mine. Uh, contrast that to the most popular book I read last year, which was Quiet by Susan Cain, which had over 600,000 reviews on Goodreads. So one compared to 600,000 plus. But that's really the great thing about hearing about what other people are reading, isn't it? I mean, you, you come across books like this that you may not have heard of in, in any other way. And that's why I love hearing about different different people's reading lists. And, and you'll see a lot of the same books on, on those reading lists. But every now and then you'll come across a book that you haven't seen someone read before. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that you probably haven't heard of this one before. But I hope that by the end of this episode, it's one that you will want to, to look into more and, and perhaps read it in the future. So on to segment one, the author. Dr. Jagdish Sheth. He's a professor of business at Emory University, and he's most well known for his work in marketing. Uh, in some circles, he's known as a marketing guru. And that's really why this book is so fascinating, because he is a business guy. He's in the business school. And yet, this book, I would, I would classify this book as more of an anthropology book. But it, it, it derives from his fascination with life, his interest in all things. And it started from market research he was doing for Coca-Cola and why some people would drink more Coca-Cola than others and, and how that 
corresponded to different climates and different and how those climates would impact the amount of Coca-Cola that, that people drank. So it, it led him down this path of wanting to know more about that. And the result is this book. And so I just find that fascinating that here's a, here's a, a man known for his business work. I mean, he's, he's written multiple books and here he's, he's writing one that's not, not, you know, traditionally in the, in the business sense, uh, but very neat. He's 80 years old. He's still teaching at Emory and he is still going strong. I've read one other book by him, which was his autobiography called The Accidental Scholar, if you're, you're interested in checking that one out. As for Gene, Gene's Climate and Consumption Culture, this was written in 2017, so just a few years ago, and it was suggested by myself. So usually I'm, I'm telling you about somebody who is on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast who suggested this book, and then that's how I heard about it, or you know some other way that I heard about the book. But this one, I wanted to read it. And the reason I wanted to read it is... I know Dr. Sheth. He's a client of mine. He's actually my first ever client. I do website development, and I've worked with Dr. Sheth now for 10 years on his personal websites. He has a number of foundations. I've done all those websites. He has some uh, learning websites to where he has a, a number of video lectures, and I've done those sites as well. So it's been a lot of fun working with him. I've learned a lot, and it's been really interesting just to see him and all of his interests, all the books he's written, the articles, and to learn from him. He, re- he really is a, a marketing guru, and I, I know that word gets thrown around, around a lot, but, but he, um, he, he's something special. And so it's been a pleasure to work with him. And, and so I, I, I like doing that. If I'm working with somebody and they've read a book, I will read the book, even if it means I stay up all night or most of the night before I have a meeting with them the next day. Uh, I, I I love reading books by people that I work with. So that was how I heard about the book. And I read it last year between September 30th and October 16th, so of, of 2018. So that was 16 days, which is a long time because this book is only 230 or so pages. Uh, but I was traveling internationally. I was traveling with my, my wife and, and two very young daughters. So I did not have a lot of time to read during that trip. But... Um, but I, I did read it, you know, when, when I was on the plane and in different downtimes. So that's the only reason it took a long time. But if you read it, you'll be able to get through it rather quickly. My initial reaction was that I was absolutely fascinated with the book. And it it really kind of takes off from where Guns, Germs, and Steel leaves off. Uh, and, and what's cool is I, I had read Guns, Germs, and Steel earlier in 2018. So this, this was a neat, a neat book to read after that. I, I kind of think of this book as a a marriage of guns, germs, and steel and homo deus, but it's one that I would definitely recommend reading after you read guns, germs, and steel. And I'll get, I'll get into that more during this, this episode. The way the book is structured is that it is in two different parts. So the first part kind of starts off like this, and this is a, a quote from the, from the beginning of the book. As I hope to show, climate touches us in myriad ways, some obvious and some less so. To pick up the metaphor, it determines the armor we choose in our battle for survival. 
including what we eat, what we wear, and what we use for shelter. Furthermore, and perhaps more radically, part two of this book will analyze how climate helps shape the cultural values and attitudes that lie behind those fundamental consumption choices. That is, we will discuss not only how climate determines what we consume, but also how climate helps define who we are. In my review of this book, I I wrote who I think would enjoy this book or who I think should read this book. And anyone who's fascinated by guns, germs, and steel would, would definitely like this book. But also anyone who sells products or services in other countries or in different climate zones, this is a very important book. So perhaps you sell apparel and you're, you're wondering if what you sell in the United States would work in another country that has a much different climate. This book will, will help, you, help you think through some of those, some of the differences in, in cultures, some of the differences in climate that you should be aware of. So whether it is a product or a service, it, it's a book that I, I think would be very helpful to you. this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. The Books of Titans Project is here to help you find the best books and to read more of them. And one of the best ways I've found to do that is to create a reading list in advance and then to share that list with others. There's an accountability factor that comes in once you've shared your reading list for the year. And to that end, I want to open up the Books of Titans website for you to share your reading list. For just $9 a month, you can share what you're reading. Those books will be put up on the site into a visually stunning format, one that makes it really nice for you to share on social platforms to show others what you're reading. And then you'll be able to go in, rate each book, give it a review, say when you started reading it, when you finished reading it. I have three different plans available. You can go to booksoftitans.com forward slash mybooks for more details. And you can also go to booksoftitans.com forward slash Stuart Browning to see what that would look like. Stuart's based in the UK and he shared his reading list for 2019, but all the way back, also all the way back to 2004. So you can see every book that he's read over those past past years. And it's really fascinating to, to see that. So you can do it now too on the, on the website. Again, just booksoftitans.com forward slash mybooks for more details. I also want to share a tool that I came across recently, and this is not a paid advertisement or anything. This is just a tool that I found that that I think you may enjoy, and it's called Bookly. It's an app. I've downloaded it to my phone. It, it also works on my watch, and basically, anytime you read, you, you just tap it, and it starts counting the time that you read. This may be too much for you uh, in the sense of like too much too much work while you're reading, but I'm, I'm finding it fascinating because I'll read through a book and never really have an idea of how long it took. I mean, if it's a huge book, I'll know it took many hours, but I don't know how many hours. And so what this is doing is, is it's helping me to see how much time I'm reading, how, my, how much time it takes per page of a particular book. So some books will go a lot faster than others. Um, but I'm just kind of a data data nerd like that. And and I love seeing that. So if you're interested in that, it's called Bookly 
And I, I paid the 20 or $30 to, to get more insights. And then for them also to create a, a snapshot of, of each book and infographic that you can share on, on social platforms. So I do that now after I read each book and you can see how long it took the time per page and some other neat information. So you may like that, uh, kind of a nerdy book reading tool, but I uh, wanted to share that. Back to the book. This is how uh, Dr. Sheth went from business to anthropology. As I, as I stated, he he started with Coca-Cola, looking at different differences in consumption patterns, and then that was really the genesis for this book. And what he noticed is that there's a North south divide and the north being the colder climates and then the south being warmer climates so i want to read a uh, a quote here that that kind of introduces things and now i want to go into the differences between north and south so here's the quote i began by looking at the role climate plays in basic consumption food shelter and clothing and soon found myself investigating how climate affects culture itself that is, the cultural values that lie behind patterns of consumption. I must say, I have found these interrelationships quite fascinating. And so let's get into some of those things that he highlights. The first is food and protein. So where do, and this is, a, this is traditionally, um, back in history, where would people from the north get their food and protein compared to people from the south? And in the north, they would mostly get it from meats. In the South, it would be from plants and produce. What about oil? Uh, in the North, it would be animal-based, and in the South, it would be vegetable-based. So think think olive oil in a Mediterranean diet. Clothing. In the North, it's going to be leather and wool, and in the South, again, plant-based. So cotton, flax, or linen. Housing. Housing in the North stone and wood, and in the south, clay and brick. And here's uh, uh, the section. I want to read this quickly. In northern Europe, for example, the forests and mountains provide stone and wood for home building. In drier, warmer climates, clay and brick predominate. predominate. Where the weather is hot and wet, reeds and grasses, especially bamboo, serve as building materials. And in the polar reaches, beyond the tree line, ice, ice itself does the job. Skin. Uh, skin is lighter and fairer in the north and darker in the south. And I'll get into ramifications for that in, in a little bit here. As for societal impact, in the north, they run, again, huge generalizations here, but they run on what is referred to as clock time. And in the south, it's more based on event time. And here is uh, a part of the book that was quite fascinating in, in terms of clock time. The colder climates and the need to control one's environment constitute an essential impetus behind the rise of industrialism in the West is one of the core ideas we are advancing here. And our argument is strengthened by research confirming that the West's devotion to clock time may be similarly climate-driven. So what he talks about is Clock time in, in the north, due to the climate, time is more precious. So in the south, the 
things are growing all the time. So there, there's more food sources. There's, uh, there, it, it's, it's more based on around events going on. Whereas in the North, if you don't plant at the right time, you have missed your opportunity. There, there's not, you can't plant something else later on and have it survive the winter. So that led to a, a, a strictness with time and, and the importance of time. There, were, there was less time to do things to prepare for, for food than there was in the South. And that had ramifications for later on. As, as for society... The North, most of uh, the individualistic societies are based in the North, Northern European, whereas most of the collectivist societies are based in the South. Here's a quote that goes along with that. The relatively more arduous struggle to survive in Northern Europe, as opposed to, for instance, climates with your year-round growing seasons, gave rise to a bundle of cultural values, efficient use of time, control of the environment, Mastery of technique, achievement, competition, which in turn fostered the West's culture of individualism. So, so far I've been discussing how differences in climate have affected culture. And his main point of that culture is a function of climate. So what happens now when people are moving what happens when there's standardization of, of products, standardization of food? Whereas we saw climate directing what people ate, what they wore, how they lived, their conception of time, their conception of family, uh, individualism, collectivism. If those things have been going for a long time through history, and then now we're, we're at a point where a lot of those barriers are, are gone, what, what does that mean? So if we're, if we're looking at North and South for those items, let's talk about what's trending today. For food, whereas most, mostly in the North you're eating meats, mostly in the South it's plants, again, historically. Today, everything's imported. I'm eating fruit from Latin America. I'm eating meat from who knows where. I'm eating things from, that are, are nowhere near the climate I'm living in. Clothing. I'm wearing clothing made in Asia. Maybe designed in, in the United States, but, but uh, made in Latin America or Asia. Housing. Housing is completely standardized now. Listen to this quote. Now let's rephrase that into a somewhat wider generalization. Traditional construction techniques everywhere reveal a process of Darwinian cycle-style adaptation to climate conditions. Climate historically determined shelter type. In our own day, on the other hand, houses are often built without regard to climate. Today's houses are supposed to be impervious to climate. But are they? What about skin? In the north... Traditionally, lighter and fair skin, and in the south, darker. So what happens when people from the north move to the warmer climates and are exposed more to the sun? We see increases in skin cancer. And here's a quote, but we take a, take, we take a closer look. 
It's not Southern Europeans or Native Americans who suffer from skin cancer, but Northern Europeans and their American descendants who move to warmer climates and decide that a tan would be becoming on their fair skins. What about time? I, I, would, I would say that, that what time is doing today is trending more towards clock time. And what about society on the individualism versus collective divide? I would say it's going more individualistic. And a lot of that is from the exportation of, of culture from the United States, uh, whether that's movies or music. A lot of these values are being driven in that way. And so what, what does that mean? And that's really what this book starts getting into is as, as we're having these unprecedented changes, what are the results going to be? Here's an a interesting quote. He says, it will be a grand irony, won't it, if that same thrust toward technological mastery, industrial development, and material progress results in a drastic change in the very climate that nourished it. Kind of getting more into the, the climate change. And in the, the final conclusion of the book, he says, he says, societies often do well when their food and clothing and shelter are appropriate to and arise naturally out of local climatic conditions. Now on to segment three and the one thing, the one key takeaway from this book. This week I'm going to do something different and I'm going to pose a question and that is going to be my one key takeaway. And it's something I've been thinking about since I've read this book. And it's something I want to look into further. And it's something that I have not really heard talked about a lot. And so here's the question. What then shall I eat? And let me back up and give a little introduction to this, to this question. Should I try to adapt to my current climate? or to where I'm from. Now, if I'm considering my genes, then it would be to where I'm from. In my case, I grew up in Minnesota, and now I live in Nashville. I lived in Atlanta for many years as well. So my question is, should my diet be a traditional Minnesota diet? And what is a traditional Minnesota diet in this age of food standardization? But my family heritage is Norwegian, so should I adopt a Norwegian diet or a Nashville diet where I live now? It's more obvious with climate. I'm in Nashville, and if you compare Nashville to Minnesota, there's a huge difference in the clothing that you need to have in each place. So I need a lot more clothing in Minnesota, obviously, than I do in Nashville. But food, food's different. And if my food and genes are tied together, as Dr. Sheth suggests, what does that mean? Well, I actually posed this question to Dr. Sheth, and he responded and said the following. Genes and diet go together, therefore follow the Norway and not Nashville. So Dr. Sheth suggests that my diet should be that of a Norwegian. So what does that mean? <laughs> uh, that's obviously something I would n- need to look into. I mean, growing up in Minnesota, we would go to Norwegian we- restaurants. And um, so I, I remember some of the some of the food. 
But um, that's a really interesting thing to consider and something that I haven't heard discussed a lot, especially in our health-crazed Western society. I mean, there's a lot of talk right now about a plant-based diet, and but if plant-based was from more more from a Southern culture and your family heritage is from a Northern culture, should you be eating a plant-based diet or should you be trying to go more towards what a Northern-based diet would be? And if it is so tied in with our genes, should we, should we be doing that instead of a lot of the other diets that we're doing right now? So these are just some of the questions that, that came up as I was reading this book and something I, I really do want to explore more. And, and I guess kind of a different conversation than, than what is generally going on in terms of food and, and maybe tying it more into your 23andMe profile than, than your, the latest diet phase of the Mediterranean diet or, or something like that. Uh, especially if you're not from, if your family heritage is not from that region. So fascinating thing to consider and and something that is my key takeaway and something that I'm going to look into deeper into this book. So to recap, I, I loved this book. I thought it was utterly fascinating. And the author was fascinated by the topic. And that was really cool. I mean, throughout the book, Dr. Sheth he he would just stop whatever you're saying and he would he would ask you as the reader reader isn't that fascinating and i i love that he do that that he did that he's almost he took himself out of the the writing for a minute just to uh to to show you his fascination with what what he was writing about his his interest in that it was one of those books where you kind of smack your head a few times with your hand and you say duh of course why hadn't i thought of that but it was also a pleasure to read, and you could tell that Dr. Sheth obviously loved the topic. So I, I, I recommend this book, especially if you've, read, if you've read Guns, Germs, and, and Steel. If you haven't read Guns, Germs, and Steel, I would, I'd recommend reading that first and then reading Genes, Climate, and Consumption Culture. But this was uh, this, one of those books that, uh, again, didn't, didn't really know what to expect going in, but was pleasantly surprised and... It's a book that's very, it could be very helpful just in, in thinking, thinking about your family heritage, what that could potentially mean for you personally, what that means for the society that you live in, the particular city or area that you live in now, and what it could mean for you and your business if you're selling services or products overseas, or if you're helping clients work with people in, in different cultures. This book can can really open up some different ideas of how uh, people have traditionally thought in those cultures, and as we as we see, culture is a function of climate. Culture is, is largely going to be based off of that climate. So, what what can you learn from those different different areas? And that's going to do it for this episode. Before I sign off, just a reminder that you can now share your own reading list on the Books of Titans pod, uh, website by going to booksoftitans.com forward slash my books. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast and find our past episodes through iTunes, Android, or the podcast manager of your choice. The one I use is Overcast. I love it. You can speed things up. You can get rid of uh, breaks 
or, or, or empty space. And that'll save you a lot of time as you're listening to podcasts. If you're enjoying this podcast, please go ahead and rate it in iTunes. It'll just take a few minutes, but that is a huge help to the podcast. It will get it in front of more people. And also would love for you to share your favorite episodes on social media. Uh, Either Jason or I will be back next week with another book. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.